1: I'm Greg Karumbas. My guest at this time is Andrew C. McCarthy, former chief assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He's also a contributing editor and columnist at National Review Online and a Fox News Channel contributor. We want to get his thoughts on the first bit of questions and answers from senators to the House managers and the lawyers for the president. We'll also get his thoughts on the John Bolton factor now in this process. And Andy, thanks very much for being with us.
0: Greg, it's my pleasure. Well, to be with you. Good to be with you
1: again. Well, a little bit of a change of, uh, not scenery necessarily, but at least in, in the process for today, after hours and hours of hearing from uh, just the lawyers, uh, we now got questions from the senators read by the chief justice. Um, and, and we'll get into this a, a little bit, but uh, it, it seemed to me that a lot of the questions were from members of the party towards the lawyers that they naturally gravitated to. In other words, instead of more clarification questions it was, isn't the other side terrible? Is that uh, pretty much how you saw this?
0: It really did have the feel, Greg, of a congressional hearing where that happens very frequently. Often you'll have congressional hearings where there'll be a panel of witnesses and, you know, both sides have agreed on a certain number of witnesses and they each get to call one or two of their own. And what tends to happen in these hearings Uh, is they use the witness that they call to make the points they want to make, and they don't really do what I think people find interesting and should find interesting in a hearing, because this is in a court. This is how we uh, crystallize and clarify what the issues are. You want to put the pointed questions to the uh, people for the adversary, uh, and I use adversary in the term of art of, of litigation, the other side, so that you can sharpen the issues and try to confront what you think are the weak points of the argument. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of that. I actually thought there were a couple of times, I think uh, Senator Cruz and uh, Senator Lee, for example, uh, put a pretty pointed question to uh, Congressman Schiff uh, to, to kind of modify a, a hypothetical he had asked earlier. Uh, but I, that only happened one or two times that I can recall over the hours that uh, that that i was able to observe this for the most part you're quite right it was each side asking its own witnesses to give its own version of events
1: and so in light of that you kind of wait for the questions from the senators you think possibly haven't made up their mind on either witnesses or final verdict here uh susan collins asked the first question out of the gate and there's a few other senators you're not quite sure where they're going to go so those are the ones you pay attention to um which questions do you think mattered most here in this first session
0: well, I thought the um, the first question that was nominally asked by Susan Collins, uh, Senator Collins of Maine, I say nominally, Greg, because once the Chief Justice got the question, uh, we then found that it was actually being jointly asked by Senators Collins, Murkowski, and uh, uh right. Romney, Romney. Yep. and I thought it was interesting that it was the three of them acting together as a block. They're obviously three, maybe the main three of the uh, Republican senators that everybody has their eyes on because uh, they're deemed to be or seen as the senators. Uh, well, it's not just that they're seen as they've made it clear that they are the senators who on the Republican side are inclined to hear more witnesses or at least um, signaled that. So I thought that perhaps even more important than the substance of the question, which actually was an interesting question about what do you do when there are multiple motives that the evidence suggests, like there could be a corrupt motive and a public interest motive when a president acts, and, you know, what do you do about all that? It was a fairly interesting legal question, but I thought just as interesting is those particular three senators seeing themselves as a block, uh, And, you know, the other thing I think, Greg is, is probably worth correcting. Cause I've heard a lot of misinformation about this throughout the day. Um, if let's say if we keep hearing about what happens if they don't get the four witnesses, the interesting thing to me of course is what happens if they get three witnesses, which I'm sorry, three senators um, in favor of witnesses so that the vote would then be 50, 50, presumably if the Democrats all held uh, all 47 of them, Uh, For witnesses, if three Republicans were to defect and ask for witnesses and you had 50 50, um, it would be up to Chief Justice Roberts, but not necessarily to rule, although he would uh, effectively do so. It would be up to his discretion whether he wanted to vote or not. Uh, So he could he could cast an affirmative vote, um, which would. You know, obviously, depending on which way he went, would be dispositive. The other thing he could do is abstain, and were he to abstain, uh, the vote would be 50-50, and the motion would not carry. That is, that you would not get the 51 uh, needed for witnesses. So it'll be an itch- it'll be interesting in the not unforeseeable event that happens, uh, what. Chief Justice uh, Roberts take will be my my sense is that he would probably want to stay out of this uh, and want the Senate to decide it but of course he would be effectively deciding by not deciding because that would mean no witnesses
1: can't win either way sounds like uh, he's going to get branded a partisan no matter what he does if that's the scenario so um, Andy did we learn much today so far
0: um I don't I don't think sitting listening to this it changes Minds at least, and maybe it's because my mind uh, is already pretty much made up, so'm I'm, I'm, uh, I need to put that out there so that people can listen to this with a grain of salt if they choose to. But you know, I, I think Greg, that when the Democrats and the House impeachment managers, the Democratic senators and the impeachment managers, when they talk about bringing Bolton in to testify, that is when they are on strongest ground. When it when the when the arguments they make devolve into, yeah, we want Bolton and what about Mulvaney and maybe we'll get Pompeo too, and they have this string of witnesses, uh, and then they acknowledge that uh, a trial means witnesses, and of course, if we get ours, the president will be uh, seeking his. I I think that's where they kind of undo their position, because nobody, it seems to me, sitting in that room is thinking about this trial in terms of something that will go on for another several weeks. I really think they are thinking of this in terms of, is there a way that we can get some information from Bolton uh, and say we've done witnesses, call it a day, and let's move to a quick vote? Because the interesting context here is in a normal trial, you know, you get the witnesses first, and then you, you have the argument and deliberate on the outcome. Here, we're dealing with a situation where the outcome is pretty much decided. Uh, you know, we know the president is not going to be, he's been impeached, but he's not going to be removed. Uh, they would need 20 Republican votes for that. I think it's more likely that you get Democrats who vote not to impeach, not to remove the president, than that you get Republicans who vote, To remove him so we know they are not going to get the 67 votes they would need to remove the president and therefore it seems to me that that puts a lot of uh, pressure even on the wavering senators who would like to in principle hear some witnesses to say you know look we know what's going to happen here so how long do we want to go on not doing the business of the United States Senate um, in an exercise where the the result is already kind of baked in the cake and now we're just arguing about how long we're going to take to get to it.
1: Andy, you mentioned John Bolton there in passing in terms of the efforts certainly by the Democrats to, to get him to testify in this trial. Um, obviously, he's been in the headlines the past few days. Uh, he's got this book coming out, according to the New York Times. Uh, Bolton supposedly in this book confirms that it was in fact a quid pro quo and that Trump directly ordered him not to release military aid to Ukraine until the investigations that he wanted were underway. Uh, They didn't get the investigations and the aid still uh, went out. Uh, The Democrats would argue that that was only because the whistleblower complaint was about to come out. Um, And now we've got uh, Elliot Engel, the uh, Democrat in charge of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee in the House, saying that Bolton unilaterally told him without any prompting to uh, look into the ousting of ambassador Yovanovitch. Uh alan dershowitz has said that what we know so far even if it's true about the book doesn't change the facts here and doesn't change where this ought to end up so uh is, is there anything that you've learned so far on the bolton front that that drastically changes the calculation here
0: well, let me say a few things about this greg first just to deal with uh uh, Marie Ivanovich, the former ambassador who was removed by the president. What we heard about that episode was very disturbing in the House hearings. It looks like, uh, uh, you know, she was removed uh, without cause and under circumstances where a lot of in- influence was being um, weighed in there by these two characters, Parnas and Fruman, who've been indicted in the Southern District of New York. I regard that as a disturbing episode, but I would point out to people that the House could have returned an article of impeachment on that and did not. So even though, you know, Bolton may be quite right that that episode ought to be looked into and that the more you look into it, the ickier it seems. We are dealing with a lot here with the impeachment that actually is in front of us, which is these two articles of impeachment. And even though the House did a lot of song and dance about Yovanovitch for, I think, atmospheric purposes, uh, the fact of the matter is there's no substantive importance of it. They didn't indict or or return an article of impeachment on that. Uh, So, uh, you know, I I would put that to the side. I I think the argument is correct, and I've I've been making it myself, that if um, even if Bolton were to testify – that the president told him in a conversation that there was conditionality between the delay in the uh, in giving Ukraine the defense aid and the the investigations that the president wanted, including an investigation of Biden. So even if there was that kind of a quid pro quo, I don't think this rises to the level of an impeachable offense, especially because nothing actually in the end happened. So I've I've been um, baffled by the president's defense in this regard because it seems to me that if your defense is that nothing happened um you should be telling the senate and this would get away from this would this would kind of wipe away the bolton issue your argument ought to be assume for argument's sake that bolton would testify that there was a quid pro quo in the end it was aborted and nothing happened here ukraine got their funding there was no damage to their defense, no certainly compromise to American national security, no promise of an investigation, and Zelensky says he never felt threatened. So in the end, when you get all of that out, you don't have an impeachable offense. I don't understand why the White House or the president and his defenders would continue to put in issue. The question of whether there actually was a quid pro quo, whether the conversation was perfect and all that jazz. They don't need to prove that to get to the place where they need to get to, which is that the president doesn't get removed. And I think to the extent that we have a problem in terms of you know, this argument about witnesses, it's certainly fair enough to say the House should have pushed harder to get this testimony and these witnesses. But it's also kind of a a ledger domain on the part of the president's defense on the one hand to put in issue the question whether there was a quid pro quo or not and on the other hand to basically deny the witness or any witnesses who can speak to that issue if it's an open issue you know the, the, the way they've litigated this case if you're the fact finder your natural reaction is going to be well If the president thinks it's important enough to argue about whether there was a quid pro quo, maybe we ought to hear the witnesses and get to the bottom of whether there was one.
1: This is a point you've been making for months, that instead of uh, trying to uh, play whack-a-mole here with uh, little drips and drabs of information that come out that uh, either do or or seem to conflict with the president's story, uh, the bottom line, as far as you're concerned all along, has been that uh, even if uh, the thrust of the allegations is true, it doesn't rise to an impeachable offense.
0: Yeah, that's right, and I've even proposed today, Greg, in a, in a column at National Review, maybe a way out of this quandary, not that anybody's going to listen to me, but my advice is worth what they're paying me for, right? Um, and uh, the, the idea would be uh, that if it were up to me, I would say uh, Bolton – Have the Senate pass a resolution that says Bolton is available to be deposed for four hours by uh, the Judiciary Committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, with Chief Justice Roberts presiding. Uh, Each side would get 90 minutes. I'd give the Senate an hour, uh, and that makes uh, four hours altogether. And then at the end of that, uh, the president could evaluate whether he wanted to press – for more witnesses or not, or or instead move to summations and ultimately a verdict. And the president could obviate the need to call Bolton. That is, we would not have to have Bolton called if they would just stipulate that if he were called to testify, he would say that he had a conversation with the president, however many it was, um, in which the, the president said that the delay of giving the defense aid was because he was trying to get the ukrainians to do these investigations Um, and i would say if the president was willing to stipulate to that then there'd be no reason to call bolton and we could protect executive privilege because that would be the essence of his testimony and the democrats wouldn't get to do a fishing expedition into all of his various communications with the president uh and at the same time um you know we could get to a point where we could bring this To an end in other words the democrats get the essence of bolton's testimony they can say they can use it to argue that there was a quid pro quo the president's position remains that even if bolton were to give that testimony it doesn't change the unaltered facts that nothing happened here and the ukrainians got their aid and there was no promise of investigations And if everybody was satisfied with that, I think it would satisfy the people who want to call Bolton as a witness because you would have his relevant information in the record. And then we could move on to where we have to get, which is the final vote here.
1: That's a fascinating offer. We'll see if the president uh, and his team go in that direction, but given th- given their insistence that everything was perfect, I have a feeling that they' they might not go in that direction. Uh, last one is uh, last question is not super consequential. Just curious as to as you watch all this with the uh, lawyers in the room um, as a uh, acclaimed lawyer yourself, who stands out to you? who do you watch and go this guy's good.
0: I think on the Republican side on the president's uh, defense team, a number of them have have done very well, but uh, but Pat Philbin seems to be to stand out because he's so he's steady and he's understated, but you can just tell that he's the guy that re- they rely on as not only kind of the uh, legal beagle, but also the guy who um, knows this record backwards, forwards and and sideways. Uh, and I've been very impressed with him. And on the Democrat side, uh, I would say that Adam Schiff has done a very impressive job. I, My own assessment of Congressman Schiff has always been, or has been in, in uh, the last couple of years, that he is prone to making galactic strategic mistakes. Like, I think that, um, you know, it was idiotic to, to start out these hearings with that ridiculous uh, version of the Trump-Zelensky uh, phone call that he called a, a parody and i think he's been suffering for that uh, ever since but it was uh, his own dopey judgment call but on the nuts and bolts of lawyering in a courtroom i think he makes a very good often compelling presentation he never gets rattled uh and he's always ready he's super prepared uh and you know i think he's done a very good job of presenting the democrats case i say that not thinking much of their case but i think you know, he's done a good, as good a job presenting it as, as could be done.
1: Andy, it's been a long road, and it's not quite done yet. So thanks for your time today. We'll talk to you soon, I'm sure.
0: In the middle of witnesses, Greg. We'll
1: be <laughs> we'll be chatting away. Exactly right. Andrew C. McCarthy, former Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, contributing editor and columnist, National Review Online, and a Fox News Channel contributor. I'm Greg Corumbus, reporting for Radio America.